Good afternoon and welcome to Let's Talk. The pastor is in. I'm program host Kip Allen. Let's Talk is the program for the Christian layman, the Lutheran who believes but has questions. In short, the program's designed for someone just like me. There's a lot I don't understand. It doesn't have to be something soul-shaking. It might just be something that's been bugging me for a while. And I find that rather than getting into a deep chapter and verse theological discussion, a casual front porch style talk with the pastor is the best way to understanding. That's what this program is all about. Today's guest pastor, Lance O'Donnell of St. Paul Lutheran Church in Nakamanawak, Wisconsin. I have my questions, and I'm sure you have yours. You can send your questions by email at any time to Let's Talk at kfuo.org. Call me during the program at area code 314-821-0850 in the St. Louis area, including Metro East, or toll-free anywhere in North America at 1-800-730-2727. Well, welcome to the front porch, Lance. Good to be back with you. Well, we got some snow up here. You got some snow, I heard, in St. Louis. Yeah, we did. We did. Got, got about four or five inches worth of the stuff. Well, it's, it's coming. Uh, we, we have had some here already, and more is coming tonight. So here we go. There are times I say to myself, why did I leave, why did I leave Southern California? And then, <laughs> <laughs> then I pick up the headlines and read about the forest fires there. I've been through a couple of those. Those are no know, fun. My sister, I know, we, we lost what? We lost a, a Missouri Synod parish there and a parsonage and... Yeah, that's what I've heard. And uh, I don't know if any of our LCMS members were killed, but they've had, what, hundreds or hundreds are missing. My sister had to be evacuated. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, last last I heard, the death toll's at 63. Uh, there's something like 600 missing they can't account for. Uh, so far, I have not heard any reports of LCMS casualties, although I did hear that report of the one church being lost. Yeah, that was my understanding. It was a parish and a parsonage. Oh, boy. So we'll have to keep them in our prayers. and No doubt. <sighs> what times we live in, huh? Yeah, well, I, I was out west uh, this summer, and so I did my vicarage in Aspen, Colorado. Uh-huh. And uh, we did a national park tour this summer, and on the way back we went through Colorado and stopped in Aspen and I was shocked at how dry it was. Yeah, it, it gets like that. And, you know, I, as I mentioned, I lived out there for about 30 years. And uh, back in 84, uh, I was living in a town called Ojai, which is in between yeah. Santa Barbara and Ventura counties. And we had a 120-acre forest fire up there, or wildfire. And it just surrounded the town. It was incredible. I'll never, ever forget that experience. Another reason why I want to live out here, <laughs> but uh, yeah, well, then you have to deal with humidity and well, yeah, bugs. that's true. But you know, better humidity than yeah than hundred than than those flames. I still remember. Uh, I was at one point. Uh, I was working with a guy from cable TV, and we were trying to go up toward the source of the fire. Yeah, I know we were young and stupid, uh, so we sure. went beyond the fire line, and uh, we got up to a point where. Uh, the fire was surrounding us on three sides, and uh, the cable guy decided he was going to get down and try to get some photographs, and I climbed up on a nearby hill, uh, trying to look around to see if maybe the fire had jumped behind us, trapping us, and if we had an escape route. And I will never forget this scene. It was, uh, I don't know what the temperature was. It had to have been at least 120. I mean, it was just scorching hot. 
the air was so thick I had a, a, a moistened uh, neck, neckerchief over my mouth to breathe. And one of the weird things was that the sky was full of birds. The, um, uh, the birds were confused by the smoke. They were trying to get out, but they didn't know where to go to. And they were flying every which direction above, the, above me. Wow. And something else I learned is that trees can explode. <laughs> the, what would happen is that the fire would be so intense that the sap in the trees would, would boil and the steam couldn't escape fast enough, so the trees would literally explode. Wild. And I'd be looking around, there'd be this sullen red glow and this heavy smoke. Couldn't see more than 30, 40 feet in front of you. And every so often you see this flash in the middle of the uh, smoke, and a couple of seconds later you'd hear the bang as the tree would explode. And that was, uh, that was an experience I will take with me to my grave. Yeah, that's frightening. Well... Yeah, certainly we, our prayers are with the people in California and families of those affected. Absolutely. Including my own, yep. And, you know, there's there's been a lot going on in California and around the country, and, uh, and you came up with a really interesting topic on the concept of, of, of masculinity. And, you know, there's been a lot of talk, especially in the, in the uh, secular segments of her society about what they call toxic masculinity sure. and yet I've, I've got this news report right in front of me about this uh, a shooting that took place in the uh, thousand oaks uh, uh country and western bar is that the federalist article uh no this one is from uh, the uh, daily signal but okay. uh, it's probably repeated in the federalist as well and i'm going to read a very brief portion of it here uh this is from a, a woman by the name of Taylor Whitler, who was at the club when the shooting came out. And she said, while we were all dogpiled on the side, there were multiple men who got on their knees and pretty much blocked all of us with their backs toward the shooter, ready to take a bullet for every single one of us. Uh, yeah. That's, that's, and, that's, you know, I, and I read a similar article in The Federalist. Yeah. that I'm looking at and, and in moments that's what it's it's what men do yeah that's it you know we're virtuous men right? it's hardwired into us to protect women yep and every time I see a one of these defective units who hurts a woman I just there's a if I may on since we're on that topic and that that event yep. um, you know you you know you see the worst of humanity that so shooting people, in cold blood, um, as was done, is is you know absolute cowardice. And whatever the whatever the mental health reasons were behind it, it is a wretched thing. And yet, in the midst of that, some people step up um, to to protect people. Um, in the there's a a little article in the Federalist that was posted a couple days ago. It's entitled, um, In Thousand Oaks, Scores of Heroic Men Rescue Others from One Evil Man. Mm. And uh, it talks about these guys who were stepping in front of people, men ripping off their shirts, all these men who had, you see all these men outside the club afterwards without shirts on, and what they had done is they ripped their shirts off and then made them into tourniquets for people. Um and then, then there goes on, there's a couple paragraphs here uh, where the author writes, another man's story was even more compelling. He saw right in front of him 
the first people being shot, numerous employees at the entrance of the establishment. He was able to usher his son to safety, but then through tears and shame expressed profound regret that he didn't stay in the building to save others. And then this is a quote. I should have stayed until he changed his clip, but I was worried about my boy, he said. His tears and emotion increase at that point, but I should have stayed. I apologize to anyone who got hurt or passed. I'm sorry. And then the author of the article writes, he's speaking of the responsibility he naturally felt to save others beyond his son. No one blames him for staying with his son, but he does. He regretted that he didn't do more. And then the author says, that is a man, a good man. Um, So what... But Glenn, Glenn Stanton, the, who works for Focus on the Family, is the article, is the, is the author of that piece. Well, I look at a guy like that shooter, and, you know, it's, it's just pure evil. And it, it makes me almost wonder about possession. I can't conceive of any, even a rash, even an irrational person doing that. I mean, you, obviously this fellow planned it out. And... Yeah, well, you see, I mean, it's... The, the point is there in the face in the face of evil you know men men stepped up to do what men are called to do and some of us some do naturally and we hope that in a moment like that that we would step up and you know and be willing to sacrifice ourselves as those men in the bar obviously were and uh... right the, and, fr- um, and frankly, you know, I, having been on a fire line, <laughs> as, as I just described to you, sure. man, those people are incredible. And, you know, they, every year we lose firefighters to that, that type of a thing. And it's just, uh, it's just incredible to me. And people do that. And th- this is one of the points that um, there, I'm, I'm going to highlight a, a book recent, uh, published a couple of years ago or last year, 2017, by mm-hmm. Portia Publishing House. Um, by Jeff Hemmer. It's called Man Up, uh, The Quest for Masculinity. And uh, I found it, I, I'm only part of the way through it now, but I have, I have found it absolutely compelling and very challenging theologically and otherwise. And um, I'm, ra- I'm, rather, I'm rather taken with it at the moment. And well, that's, that's what I'd really like to get into. What, sure. what, does it mean to be a man biblically? I mean, we've certainly we have some guidance from this, and, and the book that you're reading now also directs to it. And I, I look at this this incident where these these men didn't even bother to question; they just sprang into action. So there's something hardwired there. Well, the man up begins. It has a foreword written by Pastor David Peterson. Okay. And I don't know if you know Pastor Peterson. I know of him, but not not a great deal. So um, in the in the foreword, uh, David Peterson asks. Uh, he makes a couple statements, and I remember when I when I read this, Kip. Right, I mean, here we are sitting here talking to each other. Right, when I it's when I read this, I, I immediately there's sometimes you read something and you go, that's it, he's got it. Um, and I, you know, I start I started to read this, and I, there was this thing and another thing we'll talk about in a little bit in in. He put in words something that I have I have come to believe biblically, and just have never been able to articulate as succinctly as he did. And I think it's fantastic, and I w- I really want to commend the book. 
uh, if, if I may, in the foreword, Pastor Peterson uh, writes, he says, for the most part, we don't want our sons just to be happy. We want them to be virtuous, mm. which is to say we want them to be men. And then he goes on to quote a, a thought experiment from uh, Boston College philosophy professor Peter Kraft. And he puts the thought experiment as this. Uh, he says, you know, say your son is a prisoner in Auschwitz, and Joseph Mengele, the German SS officer and physician, it's where he's conducting his experiments on human beings. And say that Mengele offers your son the opportunity to be spared. But in exchange, your son must become his assistant and help him torture others. Hmm. And you have the chance to advise him what he should do. What do you tell him? And, um, and that's, you know, that's the question for people. And then Pastor Peterson goes on to say, well, you, I think most people would say you tell him not to be Mengele's assistant. You, you, tell, you tell him that there are some things that, that are worse than death. <laughs> um, here's what he says, is, and this is, on page, this is on Roman numeral page 8 of the book. Being Mengele's assistant would do more damage to your son than would his suffering torture and even being killed. Some things are more evil than pain or death. And, and then he says, and this is, I, it, it, I just found it so true, the thought experiment helps us to see two things. That it's more destructive to a man to cause evil than to suffer evil. And we really don't want our sons to be happy. What we want them to be is virtuous. You know who that reminds me a little bit about is the late Senator McCain, uh, when he was taken prisoner in Vietnam, uh, he was badly injured and was tortured and was treated by his captors. And then they found out that his father was a high-ranking uh, naval officer. And they offered him early release. Right. And he said, not, I'll, not until everyone is released. In which everybody respects in because they see that as a fundamentally manly act. Yeah, absolutely. You know, you can disagree with them politically, but to question the man's courage, uh-uh, no way. Yep. That was an honorable man. An honorable man. And so, and here is the basic thesis of the book that I think, and and the his and the thesis of the the statement of what the essence of biblical manhood is. And I think he absolutely nails it, and I'm totally compelled by it. Um. He says, the essence of masculinity is not rugged independence. It is sacrificial giving. And that is, unless a man's courage and wisdom and discipline and patience and chastity and any other virtues serve the good of others, they're not truly virtues, and he's not fully masculine. And certainly we have the, the example laid out to us by Jesus himself. And this is and that is and that is what the rest of the book basically is about. Mm. It's about how we find out what a man is, not from Arnold Schwarzenegger or from whatever, uh, but from Christ himself, who is the true man. And and there was the, the, the there was the classic example of, of, of sacrifice. He knew he knew what was going to happen to him. 
and he did it willingly. And, you know, and not, you know, and not in a, you know, they t- you talked about toxic masculinity. Pastor Hemmer in the book talks about hyper-masculinity, not, not in a chest-thumping, I'm-better-than-you, braggadocious way, um, but in, you know, this is my calling. This is why I am here right now. This is what I'm supposed to do. This is who I am. Way. You know, there was a um, a news story I read uh, just a couple of days ago. Uh, a gentleman was uh, driving home late at night, and he came up to an intersection, and there's a police car in flames in front of him. And he just, <laughs> he stopped the car, he ran out, he broke the glass on the driver's side as just as the fire was starting to go into the into that compartment and drag the officer out to safety. Apparently there'd been a, a hit and run traffic accident. The officer was injured, the fuel system had broken and set on fire and the officer couldn't get actually it was a woman officer could not get herself out. But again, this guy he literally ran into the fire. And that And sometimes that and sometimes that's what you have to do. Yeah. I think that's the point of of Professor Kreft's thought experiment there is it's better for a man, you know, and that's obviously an extreme example, um, but what we really want our sons, more than we want them to be happy, we want them to be virtuous. And I I, I just find that fundamentally, as a, as a father with two sons and with two daughters, uh, one of whom is, I guess, marrying age now, she's 20, um, and uh, you, you, I'm sure, you know, you ask yourself not just what you want your sons to be, but what type of man you want your daughter to, to marry. Right. Yeah, my, uh, yeah, it's interesting to talk about this because it, it was a bizarre, for me, last year, um, I traveled to the Dominican Republic where okay. my, my daughter at the time was spending part of her gap year living with a missionary family down there. And there was a there was a young man down there who was probably eight years older than my daughter. My daughter was 19 at the time. And, but, and he was a little old for her, but there was some interest there. And I, at first, I, I was a little skittish, <laughs> you know. But then I got, to, I got to know this young man and where he came from in what he was going to go back to, and I developed this really profound respect for him, and it was a bizarre thing, but because uh, but I started to think to myself, because I knew if I knew if that were to happen, you know, she would she would move away to a foreign country, and I would probably rarely see her for the rest of my natural life, and yet I felt very much at peace about it. I thought, you know, she won't do better than this. This is a really good man. Um, he knows he knows Christ, and he knows what it is to offer himself on behalf of others. And I found myself thinking, well, okay, God's will be done. You know, it didn't end up happening, but um, I, this is precisely what we were talking. What I was thinking about. Why are we having <clears throat> Why are we having so many problems with this definition today? It, it seems. You know, it seems fairly obvious to you and me as Christians, but there's a lot of discussion out there. There's a lot of doubt. There's a lot of 
confusion. There is a lot of confusion. You know what? So what's happening? What is what is what is a man? What is a man? Mm-hmm. You know what? You know we we want to run away from we want to run away from biology. We want to, and certainly we want to run away, at the root of it. I, I would say we want to run away from authority. We want to run away from God's word. And you know th- this to me is at the at the heart of it. We want we this is ba- this is the original sin. Just in various different different forms, we want to be our own gods. We want to do whatever we want. We don't want to be a, we don't want to be under anyone else's authority, and so we want to do whatever we want with our bodies, whatever that might mean. Culturally, that's I think where we are. What caused it? Well, I mean, the the, the simple answer is the you know the the original sin. Oh. You know, we, I mean, I, I don't want to be trite, right? I mean, but, it, but this was it, you know, the, you will be like God was the temptation. Mm. You will be basically your own God. And Adam said, cool, I'm going to do that. And we aren't any, you know, we aren't, we aren't any different in this, re, in this yeah. respect. I always remember, um, when, after the fall, when God came came to the Garden of Eden and the, and they're hiding, and uh, God finally confronts Adam and says, "Did you do this?" And Adam goes, "Well, well, it was the woman who made me do it." Right. <laughs> Adam was a wimp. Well, yeah, and that, and and this is the thing. It it is a. Right. His his calling was to protect his wife from evil, mm-hmm. and he abandoned it, and then blamed blamed somebody else for what he had done. Uh, part of why we recoil at that is it's an unmanly act. Yeah, absolutely, it is. And you know, and and rightly so. Yeah. You know, it it would and whatever the venue in life is where we where we see that, you know, we we respect somebody male or female, quite frankly, who accepts responsibility for what they've done. But we, we especially despise it in men, don't we? I mean, in, I think in any stage in life, somebody who tries to weasel his way out of something and explain away, um, I think especially we have disrespect for a man that does that. Or even contempt. Or even contempt. And how do we, as Christians, respond to that? You know, we judge. Well, yeah, to an extent, I think we're supposed to. Uh, You've got to make discernments. This is a huge, you know, this is a huge issue for me and has been my whole adult life. And it has, it has a lot to do with the fact that I was, you know, really relatively young when my father died. And, you know, I was, you know, I was 22 Right when my dad died, mm-hmm. you know, just starting my my professional life, and I remember, you know, and then you know the Lord brought me back, you know, and I wasn't raised in a Christian, you know, my parents were, I mean, I was baptized when I was twelve, but we didn't practice the faith at all, and then after my father's death, you know, the Lord eventually brought me back into the life of the church, and one of the things that I discovered in the church was these men who were attempting to follow Christ in their families. And I found it absolutely compelling because I didn't, I hadn't really any known anyone like that. 
or spend a great deal of time with somebody like that, as it were. And leading your family in forgiveness, submitting yourself to God, um, leading your family in prayer, um, all, none of those were things that, that I knew, and I had, I had men mentor me in those ways that were not my father, because my father was gone. And I'm eternally thankful for those, to those men. And that's you know, the example that we lead, or at least we try to lead. Um, we're human. We have the old Adam in us. We're subject to, to, to failure and flaw. It's, uh, it's a heavy burden. It's a heavy burden to be a man, right? And this is this is uh, this is part of the point of of Jeff Hammer's book, uh, Man Up, is that being a man is hard, and part of it's a it's a word of encouragement to to keep up the fight, to keep at it because it is hard. Um, the call to provide, to sac- to sacrifice, to show courage. Um, to grow, to repent, all of that, it's not, it's not easy. And if need be, to make the ultimate sacrifice. Need, and if need be, if need be, to sacrifice. Well, we're hitting the bottom of the hour, and we're getting into some heavy topics here. Let's continue, see what's going to happen on the other side. Gary Duncan, the general manager of Worldwide KFU, asking you to please prayerfully consider making a gift during this, our fall Raleigh week. You've been hearing us talk about the various giving levels, but what I need to talk to you about today is a major project that we have. Our computer system for our on-air is starting to fail us, and we need to update computers for the air studios and servers and sound cards and the various other devices that go along with this computer system. The cost to replace these computers is near $40,000, and if you have the means to help us with this project, you could call me direct at 314-996-1511. That's 314-996-1511. Maybe you could help out. It could be four people at $10,000 each. Or maybe we'll get eight people at 5000 or or 100 people at $400. Any amount would help us cover the cost of this vital project. Again, call me direct, 314-996-1511. Let me know that you would like to help with the studio computer system upgrade, and I'll be glad to talk to you about this project. Proverbs 27:17 tells us, Iron sharpens iron, and one man sharpens another. That's why weekday mornings at 8 a.m., two Missouri Synod pastors test their metal against the Holy Scriptures, certain that not only will they come out better for it, but so will you. The sword of the Spirit is sharp to the touch, but you need practice wielding it. Check out Sharper Iron, 8 a.m., every weekday on Worldwide KFUO. 
Listening to KFUO on your smartphone is so easy to do. Smartphone assistant, play KFUO. Playing KFUO radio. You can also visit the place where you get your apps and download the KFUO app. You can also go to the KFUO homepage. Wow, the KFUO homepage is customized to fit your phone with an easy-to-find listening button. When you're on the webpage, you can browse for more information. You can listen to KFUO 24 hours a day at KFUO.org. Don't forget about Facebook, facebook.com slash KFUO radio. Now you're just acting like a Imagine a handwritten Bible that's over 1,600 years old. The Codex Sinaiticus is one of the most important books in the world and one of the oldest surviving copies of the Christian Bible. And part of the history of the Bible presented by Museum of the Bible, which features a facsimile of this unique handwritten Bible. The Codex Sinaiticus contains half of the Old Testament as well as the oldest complete copy of the Greek New Testament. Four scholarly institutions combine resources to preserve the entire original manuscript in digital form. It's become a rare opportunity for scholars and lay people to access the manuscript, to read and study a Bible otherwise inaccessible. Engage with the Bible, this book of all books, in its influence and impact through the centuries. Brought to you by Museum of the Bible in Washington, D.C. Welcome back to Let's Talk. The pastor is in. My guest pastor today is Lance O'Donnell, and we are talking about what it is to be a man. What is masculinity? What does it mean, actually? And Lance is making an argument from a book that he's reading that it's about sacrifice. That's partially what, what it is. And I think one of the things we have to realize, and I believe that you, you are addressing this in, a, uh, uh, in this talk that you're about to give at, uh, at a local gathering, is that being a man or a woman, being masculine or feminine, we don't decide it. That, those are roles given to us by God. Now, whether we live up to those roles, well, that's a question. Sure. And this, do, it is, do I have that right, Lance? It is fundamentally, there's a what we call a first article of the creed thing, right? That in the first article of the creed we say, I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. And as, you know, as Luther explains that in his small catechisms, I, you know, I believe that God has made me and all creatures, that he has, he has given me my body and soul, you know, my eyes and ears in all the parts of my body and still takes care of them. Um, the, the church has, has always confessed that, that we, are, we are created beings, right, that we are underneath our creator, and our identity is, is given by God. And that flies absolutely in the face of not only modern, but ancient um, humanistic thought. How about the, how so with the ancient uh, thought on that? I, I don't quite follow that, uh, that uh, line of reasoning. Well, I'm going to go to, I mean, what, what I'm saying is the, the modern day thought that we can determine who we are, right? And we can, we can even decide, for example, to change our gender. Um, that it it comes from a, I guess an autonomous self and a in a in a sense of self righteousness. I'm pulling I'm pulling up the letter of the Hebrews here, 
in chapter in chapter 11 and it's verse 3 i believe you know let me read let me read this by faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of god so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible and there in the new testament simply reaffirming the old testament account of the creation we are not our own creator right we are we are given we are male and female and i'm not i'm not suggesting that someone can't be confused or struggle with that but ultimately we are creation we are creations of god and we have to come to terms with that and you know, one one area i think that reinforces that if you look at it empirically uh humanist forces will say what what a basic human being is and they're one of the things that they'll say is that self-defense or self-preservation is probably the the deepest hardwire in all of humanity and yet i look at these men at this bar where they completely disregarded their their self-preservation and put themselves at the disposal of strangers right it's a it's a deeply right it, it gets at something and the way we resonate to this yeah the way you are and the way people are resonating to that and that shows i think a a, a divine intervention and, and that's the wrong wrong phrase not divine intervention but a divine creation where this refutes the 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 humanist view saying well you know self-preservation that's what it's about well no it's not about right if if it if, if it if it were simply a darwinist survival of the species at thing mm -hmm. and then we would be saying sorry to all those people that got killed and way to go everybody who ran away and saved themselves yeah but but the ones that we exalt, right, the ones that we are particularly proud of are those men that went back and stood in the way of others. Right. And it was just, you know, you can understand. The humanist might say, well, I understand if, if the person is doing that to, to, to protect his family. This wasn't the case. These women were strangers to them. Right. And yet they didn't hesitate. What does that say? Well, that there's something more important. It, it, part of it is something there is more important than our than our lives on Earth. You know, when they're defeating, standing in the face of evil is important. You know, I I ran into this interestingly. You know, I served in Chicago for three years. Mm -hmm. and Chicago has had its its share in recent years of all kinds of violence. Um, I never, in my parish on the north side, I never had anything serious. But a month after I moved to southern Wisconsin, one of one of my members was mowed down in a shooting in a salon. Oh, my God. A, a, a dis, you know, a whacked out former boyfriend took an assault rifle into a beauty salon in suburban Milwaukee and started shooting people. And my member here at St. Paul's, uh, Malin Lind, uh, jumped in front of somebody else hmm. and took a bullet and died. Um, and that, you know, the person who was the object lived. And, you know, you don't have to be a man 
um, to be be selfless. You know that it, you know that is, you know that that act. Right? We, I mean, we, we regard it as a fundamentally a manly act, but it's, you know, but the truth is mothers protect their own. That's true. You know, right? And, and you know, May, what Maylin did that way, you know, what she exhibited is that there is something more important than my particular life, right? You know, there was, and if I need to sacrifice mine to save somebody else's, I will. And, you know, there, there's also a fundamental, in her case, right, there's a fundamental hope there. And, you know, that in hers is, right, Malin's was in, in, is in, is in Christ. I know that because Christ is raised, I will be too. In tra- her confirmation verse, if I remember rightly, interestingly, is this. Uh, Greater love knows no one than this, that someone lay down their life for their friends. Mm-hmm. You know, it's interesting how that often works out. We have no idea, you know, when we're in our Lutheran circles, we typically get confirmed, you know, 7th, 8th grade, somewhere in that neighborhood. Right. Sometimes our confirmation verses are assigned by the pastor. Sometimes we choose them. Um, it is it is stunning how appropriate they often are. <laughs> well, it's, it's one of the first... Uh choices we make truly as as a christian being confirmed into the uh, into the house of god we we will choose those. i remember you know back when i was confirmed and uh, we were given our choices of uh, verses and the idea being that this verse was supposed to guide us spiritually throughout our life you remember yours you know i'm ashamed to say i do uh-huh. not all right, well, there's your assignment, is look it up. Um, <laughs> I remember it had to do with courage. <laughs> oh, okay, be strong and courageous. There's a yeah. Joshua passage. It's a common It's a common one. Yeah. Um, and I'm ashamed to say I forgot. And I, I, no, you're, you're not alone. I, and I, I'm sorry to put you on the spot on that. <laughs> That's video, okay. Right? Um, I, I, I put myself on the spot. <laughs> so for, for the listeners out there, if you were confirmed, I would encourage you to find out what your confirmation verse is. You may discover uh, that it is stunningly appropriate for you. Uh, I, I really would encourage people to do that. I, it's, a, it's a valuable exercise. Yeah. I have mine engraved, at least the reference, on my wedding ring. Really? Yeah, so that's it's part, of my, part of my morning practice. That, uh, And I don't know where I picked this up from, but I had, on the outside of my wedding ring, I had... The reference etched in in Greek <laughs> on the outside of my wedding ring, and so um, I take my wedding ring off when I go to sleep at night, and then after I shower in the morning, when I'm getting ready, I put the ring on, and I, that's that is part of my practice. Is I repeat my confirmation verse ah. every day to myself. That's good practice. Yeah, I, and I encourage it. Um, so. Because I never take my wedding ring off. I always sleep with mine. Yeah, well, for some of us, you know, we can't take them off anymore. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm getting to that point myself. <laughs> well, I can take mine off, but I just uh, was thinking about the symbolism of it staying. Well, and, you know, the reason, the reason I do that on my ring is, is actually very directly related to our topic today. Okay. Masculinity. You know, my, you know, my father, and we've talked about this a little bit before, I think, but, you know, my father was raised 
you know, a Roman Catholic kid, but then really rejected the faith for almost the entirety of his adult life. But it really never went away. And then toward what, what ended up being the end of his life, he was going through some very difficult times. And they were going to go bankrupt, and he was going to lose everything. And um, he went to a Christmas concert on the 6th of December in 1992 with my mother, you know, after she would, she'd begged him for years. Did I tell you this story before? No, you have not. So mom had, mom had begged him for years to go to church with her, and he didn't want to go. So she begged him, and they, had friend, they were living in Mississippi. Friends of theirs were part of a big choir down there. And so Dad said, okay, Kathleen, I'll go. Right. And um, my mom says that, you know, and the, the music was beautiful. Right. And my dad was always affected by music. And my mom says she remembered the offering plate going around and dad put something in the offering plate. And then she didn't think anything of it. Well, three days later, on the 9th of December in 1992, he was on his way home from a Christmas party. We think he had a heart attack at the wheel, lost control of the car, hit a tree. Oh, dear. And... The next day, so the ten, I think it was the 10th of December, 92, as I'm flying to Mississippi from Michigan, where I was working at the time, um, on the 10th of December, somebody arrived at my parents' home in Mississippi from the church that mom and dad had attended before, and not knowing what had happened to my father. And there were all these cars in the driveway, people there trying to comfort my mom and get the house cleaned, you know, as... People were going to come from all over country for a funeral, so forth. Mm -hmm. Somebody rings the doorbell and says, is Jim O'Donnell there? And no, you don't know what happened. He died. Well, they have this card in their hand. And we've, we lost the card. But the card said something like, I repent, and it's time to come back. Oh, wow. And... Um, that that changed everything for my family. You know, dad's dad's repentant. You know, we were a non-church going family. We went from a non-church going family to a to a practicing Christian family, and and then I ended up becoming a pastor of all things. Um, but you know what? What on this topic? What really struck me is something my mother wrote a year later. She wrote this this fabulous letter to the choir at that church. And in it she wrote, you know, because Kip, every every year, right, we, did, we went to church maybe on Christmas. We always went on Easter. We were always late, which meant that we always had to sit in front, right? <laughs> um, we weren't used to, so we were always late. We always sit in front. Of course, Lutheran's always sit in the back, you know. <laughs> I mean, so, that you know, my mother would, you know, and the, the music would be there. My mother would always cry. And we, you know, we started to call her Niagara because she <laughs> cried all the time. Um, and she wrote this letter to the choir after a year after my dad died, thanking them, saying, and I, I, have, a, I have a copy somewhere I was looking for it the other day, but it, it, it struck me deeply about my role as a husband. She said, all these years, we would go to church on Christmas or Easter, and I, was, and I would cry and I was embarrassed, and I didn't know why. But now, I, but now I see that the reason I cried is because we were in God's house with my man by my side, and that is exactly the way it was supposed to be. 
Um, I, so for me, you know, that, it just really struck me because it's true, right? My dad and mom in their 25 years of marriage, you know, they missed out on the, the depth and love and forgiveness and, and community and support and life in the church. And, you know, when I got, when I got married, you know, that my mother's, my mother's, angst and anguish and realization that she needed, she wanted the man in her life to lead her spiritually. I wanted never to forget that the rest of my life. And so that's why, you know, that's why that silly little practice of repeating that confirmation verse whenever I put my wedding ring on every day is, is a reminder to me of who I am in Christ and my calling to lead my family. Um, well, we have... The concept of what it is to be a man, it is to be, it, it involves sacrifice, it involves leadery, it involves a, a lot of hardship. What does the Bible say about being a woman, about feminism, about being feminist? Uh, I'm, that's the wrong word. Femininity is what I'm looking for. Uh, well, there's a lot there. Um, you look at the passages on on marriage, for example, in Ephesians 5. Um, you know, to respect your husband. Let's just, you know, talk about that. Okay. You know, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Wives, respect your husband. So, the, uh, And that tends, you know, that can be downplayed, but respect's a big deal. It's a huge deal. For a man, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. Right? Um this is, you know, in, my, in, my, in the talk that I'm going to do on Sunday, is one of the great things, you know, we need our boys to learn to become men. And they, they need to learn, you know, some, to, pro, to be the kind of men that provide and protect and, and lead. They, they, have to, they have to learn to take some calculated risks. And one of the greatest gifts that the women in our lives do for us is they encourage that behavior. You know, not frivolous, stupid risk-taking, but they encourage us to, to try new things, to work harder, to get better. And, and perhaps even most importantly is when we fail, that they're there by our side to help pick us up. You know, support and, support and encouragement is a, is a key aspect of biblical femininity. Mm. And I, I see I see that as you know as as part and parcel of the respect thing. Well, like um, uh, Ruth, indeed. Uh, I think that's that's a wonderful, wonderful example of what it's supposed to be like. Uh, and there's this this concept of, I guess maybe there's a mutual sacrifice that's involved. Absolutely. You know, that's, there's later on, I think that's what, verse 31 of 5, is, yeah. of Ephesians 5, is, you know, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. You know, there, the, the, the call, the, the biblical call of manhood is not, is not domineering, hyper-masculine, it's a call of service. And, you know, that, that involves understanding and 
involving oneself and being a part of it involve it means communicating it doesn't mean just telling your wife i mean telling your wife what to do it means being a part of knowing her and leading and guiding listening yeah and that, that's something i think a lot of uh, a lot of people a lot of humanists especially misunderstand uh we we say you know the man might be the head of the family but that doesn't mean that he rules or at least, or at least, uh, in a in a dictatorial way. Oh, absolutely, yeah. Right. And, and I think this is a, a misunderstanding that that if it's rule, it's benevolent rule, not dictatorial rule. Hmm. Those are two very different things. I mean, the the call, the call, the biblical call, is for a man to be ahead of his household, um, and that is and that is to lead like Christ who leads through service um, and in goodness and kindness and gentleness, patience, and so forth, um, we, we ought not and we can't biblically think about that in hyper-masculine, in hyper domineering, Nietzschean power terms. Well, how do we answer people who, who use the phrase toxic masculinity? They're they're tar they're they're putting a tar bush over the entire gender. Sure. Do we say it's it doesn't exist, or do we say it's uh, it's an anomaly, or how well, do we respond to that? Res respond to toxic masculinity. Are are men can men be jerks? And <laughs> you're darn right they can. <laughs> can men? I mean, look at Thousand Oaks. Yes. Look at Oklahoma City. Oh yeah. Look at the look at the. Twin Towers. Look at, you know, God knows what else. Uh, you know, men, right? The men, men, men are. Te our bodies are tend to be bigger. We tend to be stronger. We tend to be more aggressive. And when that, this is what part of what uh, Jeff Hemmer's book is so so wonderful. And when that when that aggressive is corralled toward the benefit of others, it's incredibly powerful. When it when it turns to destructive ways, it is. It's a powerful evil. When it, so one, you know, one, one of the great things that the church does, what, a part of our, our glorious calling in this age where people are so confused about gender and identity, is to hold up Christ. And this is what Pastor Hammer does in his book. is to hold up Christ and say, you want to know what a man is? Here's the man, right, who is full of faith and hope and love. We just got an email from a listener, uh, uh, Miss Johnson. She sure. says, "She says I remember my confirmation day very well, and I remember my verse well, and I can say that it was the best day of my life. <laughs> I've had other great days, but knowing and understanding what I was doing that day was just perfect. It was May nineteenth, nineteen ninety-seven. Whenever I hear Genesis chapter one, pardon me, Genesis chapter twelve, verses one through three, I perk up, and then she finishes That's with the call of Abraham." Ah, yeah. And she says, I wish I knew why I was given that verse. And how do pastors go about giving verses out? <laughs> That's, well, if her pastor is living, she should ask. Ah. Um, but that, that, right, that's a great verse. That's, uh, that's one of the great promises of the Savior to come. I mean, that, uh, Genesis, that Genesis, that, I mean, that is an absolutely fundamentally important uh, paragraph or a passage for understanding who Christ is, 
right? Therein, God promises through a single descendant of Abraham, through Abraham's seed, literally, um, all the people of the world will be blessed. What a cool confirmation verse. I don't think I've ever had one of my kids take one of those. (laughs) Johnson, you are blessed. That is neat. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and you were, and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. And I will bless all those who bless you, and him who dishonors you, I will curse. And and, and all you of the families of the earth shall so be blessed. So, and, that, and that's in the Hebrew, the in you is more literally in your seed. Ah, Okay. And it's a reference to the Messiah who is to come, the Savior. Wonderful. Absolutely a wonderful interpretation of that. Well, it's not, it's not the interpretation. That's the truth. Well, it is. I mean, to people <laughs> like me who don't speak Greek or Hebrew, you know. Right? That's, and Paul brings that out, right, in Galatians, right? It's, yeah. That is, uh, that's a great confirmation verse. I'm going to have to tell some of my kids about that. I've never had anybody choose that. Uh-huh. But she said she didn't choose it, but her pastor did. She should ask. But... Uh, I would I would wager, as it were, that that's why her pastor chose it for her, because it's a reminder of the Savior to come. Uh, yeah. Oh, boy. For those prophecies, it's fulfilled. Well, we're coming to the last uh, two or three minutes of the program, and uh, what message do we have? What message do we give? I, you know, you're a father of some relatively young children. Sure. I have an 11-year-old boy, a 15-year-old girl, an 18-year-old boy, and a 20-year-old girl. So what is your message to them about being a man and being about being men and, and being women? Well, to, to my girl, right, the Pastor Hemmer's thesis, that the, the essence of masculinity is not rugged individualism but sacrificial giving. That's why to my sons, you know, that's the summary. Being a man is about the essence of masculinity is sacrificial giving as Christ shows us. And to my girls, right, what, do you, what are you looking for in a man? You're looking for, you're looking at a man, somebody who understands that is the truth, who understands that the, the essence of being a man is sacrificial giving. And, and it, hopefully they'll involve me in that. <laughs> <laughs> When that when that when that time comes, <laughs> my nephew <coughs> is um, just now having some uh, dateable age young young ladies uh, daughters, and uh, <laughs> his way of greeting uh, his, his uh, the the girls' uh, dates for the first time as he has them brought back into his study where he's cleaning his guns. <laughs> the cleaning the gun guy. Right? Yeah. So, you know, it's kind of a, you know, I write, I'm a, so I'm a pastor, and anybody who dates my daughter, who would date my daughter, knows that she's a pastor's daughter, which, depending on the guy, um, either tends to scare him a little bit, or it's a little bit of a, oh, well, I'll see if I can, you know, see if I can attract the pastor's daughter. Um, (laughs) So... Interesting. Sometimes I think I miss miss some things by not having children. Yeah. Well, you know, God's will be done. <laughs> yes, yeah, true. It, right. It, it is part of a process, but 
this is you know, I'm I'm so thankful for the opportunity to be a father and and in a way that I didn't you know that I didn't have the opportunity throughout their childhood to show my Well, your your father, in in a way, actually did show you the way. Oh, most certainly he did. I want to thank you for being on the program. You've been listening to Let's Talk. The pastor is in. Today's guest pastor was Lance O'Donnell of St. Paul's Lutheran Church in Nakamonawak, Wisconsin. I also want to give special thanks to Pastor Marisitz, Fritz Bowie, for letting us use his recording of all glory, Lord, and honor. You've been listening to The Pastor is In, a weekly chance to chat with the pastor. Your support is vital for this program to continue. To learn about giving opportunities, call Mary at 314-996-1518. You can make a gift safe, secure, and easily online at kfuo.org. Thank you for listening and supporting. The Pastor is In on Worldwide KFUO.